Good morning, happy Sunday, everyone. I'm going to go ahead and uh, wish everybody a happy Sunday and a happy week and happy New Year. And how's it all going for you all? It's almost the middle of the year. Uh, we're already in the fourth month, in the fifth month, and uh, soon we'll be in the the middle of the year, and that'll be pretty crazy, right? It's already been crazy already with the politics and all that crud, but. That's not where we're here. We're here because of all the awesomeness with the home inspections and homes and purchasing and buying and selling. So let me go ahead and get into it. Um, so I was going over some of the, the awesome uh, new scoring I just got from the uh, the Fed. Looks like they just raised the rates in the United States. Uh, Fed's go- going up to about 6.0. We are looking at a few additional things. Uh, happening right now in the United States. Um, one of the biggest thing is uh, HOA's fees have just gone up. Now HOA, I, w- I wanted to go a little bit over a couple different things. We're going to do HOA today. We're going to do some um, commercial building inspections. What they intend, what are they? Because I mean, there are some people who like to buy commercial warehouses, businesses, corporations, and so forth, or even hotels. And all those are incorporated into your your offset. And if you have a 1031 exchange, you know that that's something that I hear a lot about. People are doing their home inspections. And they say, hey, I got a 1031 exchange and I'm buying two of these houses. Can you do both? So, of course, I will do both the inspections. Um, it's not uncommon for an inspector to have multiple houses with one realtor. And, of course, if you find one person who needs or has a 1031 exchange and needs multiple inspections, it's not very uncommon for me to do all those inspections at once. Usually within the same day if I can, two or three. I end up doing about four inspections a day. So everybody's a little bit different. Some inspectors do two or three. Some inspectors only want to do one. I mean, I do drive about two hours, and then I have to do a couple inspections, and then I drive back, and then I, you know, sometimes I have to do another inspection. Mm. So it's been very um, very busy these last couple of weeks, and it hasn't really been calming down, which is a good sign. It means that the housing market is still up and running. With the new Fed, though, um, I have a feeling that it may be an issue in California. California is one of the most uh, highly sought-after houses due to the fact that you know we have a variety of different planes um you know there's there's areas where you can go into the mountains you can buy land in the forest you can buy land you know in the city you can buy land in the desert areas you can buy land next to the ocean i mean we are one of the only states in the united states that actually has all five different type of environments so it's very common that we would have um different houses sought after by people from florida minnesota missouri Michigan, Georgia, Ohio, and Utah, and even Arizona due to our weather. People from Texas, very rare, but we do have it. Um, But yeah, let's go ahead and get started in uh, the HOA form. So if you like the podcast, go ahead and you can download all my podcasts. Each one of us, uh, each one of my um, episodes are all linked. You can see every single one of them. You can see exactly what they are. You can find all of them. Uh, either on Google, 
I was on Apple. I don't know what happened. It's like the Apple may have kicked me. I have to, you know, re-register for Apple. Or maybe it's been a year and they want me to re-register. That's probably what's going on. You can find us on iHeartRadio. So if you need this to us on iHeartRadio where you're driving, to work, uh, whatever, you can just download us and listen to every single episode of the Home Inspection Network. I can always give you additional input if you want to go ahead and message me or you can email me. The uh, email is uh, homeinspectservicesllc at gmail.com. And I don't mind providing you with additional information if you have any questions about if you're purchasing a home and you don't know you know, what to look for. Um, well, in my podcast, I kind of give you a bit of uh, information of like how to look for a home, what to look for. Uh, if you find issues, um, you know, what to try to get your credit for it and everything like that. It's, it's very complicated. Now, some homes are being sold as is. So you're going to have your little bit of um, your as is issues. So you just definitely want to make sure that you're, if you buy an as is home, uh, you can either contact me first or you can, um, you know, if you have any issues during the, you know, as is, what is, you know, are you able to get any additional credits even though it's an as is home? Uh, I can go over all that for you. So definitely want to um, start with HOA. Now, HOA has started to kind of have a big uprise right now uh, in some areas of California due to the fact that they do have a positive, um, which is they have security. Some some of them are gated communities. You don't have to worry about you know security because it's all there and it's a gate, so no one can really go inside unless you know they have you know permission from you or a family member. Um, and then there's other parts of HOA is that it's a negative format is the fact that uh, an HOA does have stipulations when it comes down to uh, painting your house, cars in the driveway, boats, or if you have other items that they don't want you to, to have, which is very common, by the way. Uh, they definitely want you to to keep your uh, cars inside the garage at all times with nothing inside the driveway or you're going to have to worry about having uh, no boats or no RVs on property. It's very common. I've seen it a lot lately and people get upset about, you know, they can't even paint the front door. It's very, this is an issue that's been going on for years. And if you really want to get more into it uh, with the HOA, the best thing to do is just read up on their rules stipulations before you even look at that HOA. There's a lot of leniency in some HOAs, so it really depends on which HOA you're picking and what company you're picking with. So definitely want to read everything. They'll give you a pamphlet. If you um, if they say that they don't provide pamphlets, then you need to pick a different HOA because every HOA has a book of rules, regulations, things that they have to allow anyone that's thinking about becoming part of their HOA and buying a house in that sector uh, to be able to look at that rule book and identify if this is something that they're willing to purchase or not purchase. So you definitely want to make sure that you can get a hold of that. If they don't, like I said, you may want to search elsewhere. It's, it's not a good sign if they're withholding information from you. Uh, there's a few other cool things about HOA is you can, um, you can definitely have outside uh, parties at their rec center. 
You can even have a family barbecue or let's say that you wanted to have a, a birthday or something like that. You are able to rent the rec area for a certain amount of time. Uh, so you can have the whole family over there and there's usually a swimming pool involved too. So that's pretty cool that you can have that whole section um, all to yourselves and a lot of privacy. So th those are the good things about the HOA. Now, bad things about HOA, there are a lot of cons. Uh, one of the biggest ones that I hear about um, is when you're selling a house, certain type of information from the HOA has to be permitted. Now, this can get kind of tricky because um, some areas, depending on, on where you're located, like ours, for example, in Elk Grove, they have a tennis court. And they would say, um, you know, once you sell the house, if you're able to sell the house, it depends on, you know, the HOA actually has to approve sometimes the people you're selling to. If they don't approve, then um, you can sell it to those people. Isn't that crazy? You have to wait and, and get their approval. Well, pretty much it's the cause of it is because the HOA themselves have stipulations uh, for credit checks and so forth. So it, it gets pretty uh, pretty crazy after a while. So definitely want to make sure that you're you're getting your information straight to the HOA and letting them know that uh, you are selling the house, that you want to have this person, and this person just gets their approval. Uh, contacting the HOA can be a bit troublesome sometimes. I mean, I've heard people trying to communicate with them and then they just, they don't give callbacks. Uh, they're not open on the weekends, so you can never get a hold of them on the weekend. Uh, you'll need to get a hold of them during the weekday. Uh, selling a house for an inspection. The inspector also has to be approved, which I'm usually, what I'll do is I'll contact the HOA prior to my inspection by like almost a week if I can get that much time. And then I'll identify with them with my licensing and my insurance so I can get in uh, for the inspection. Uh, it's been uh, pretty fairly easy. I really haven't had any issues. The cool thing about um, the HOA, I mean, I, the people there are very nice. Uh, they're willing to work with you too. If you have an issue, you know, if you want to help a homeowner out and you have an issue doing it, uh, they try to find a way to help you out and get you in there and get your inspection. Uh, if you're a first-time inspector though and you you haven't done an HOA before, I would say probably don't do it because there's a lot of stipulations that you can get in trouble for, especially if you are new and you're uninsured. I keep hearing some people say like, you know, some of these uh, newer inspectors, they don't want to pay for the insurance because they don't have money yet. So it's, it's definitely something that you want to also as a home buyer, um, make sure that they're, they have experience because when it comes to HOA, you want to have a certain amount of experience. The houses are stipulated and the report has to go to both the HOA and the client. And, uh, even though there are rules, when doing an inspection that usually you can only send your report to the buyer, the person paying anyone else, uh, you're not allowed to. But when it comes down to HOA, you actually do have to send it to both the buyer uh, and the HOA. So definitely want to make sure that the person is experienced and uh, they can be identified uh, with their licensing and insurance, that kind of thing. Uh, HOA is very strict too. They'll, they'll check everything. So 
if you do get the wrong inspector, you know, they'll be like, hey, you know, the inspector doesn't seem to have insurance and that's what we require. So it's very common. It's really cool to see that a lot of people in the Sacramento and, you know, even Elk Grove area, even though they're buying HOA or selling HOA, they're very honest. They identify, hey, you know, this is wrong with the house. We have this. And the disclosures are, are pretty good. I've been to a few home inspections in the last couple of years and, and not a lot of information that were supposed to be sent has actually been sent. I think I've gone over it with my previous podcast. So some of my podcasts I'll go over and I'll explain like, hey, you know, I found parts of a fire or previous uh, chimney fire or so forth. And, you know, the the owner didn't disclose it to the buyer and the sell didn't go through. And it's because, you know, and then the, the seller gets upset. They have to look for a new buyer. But that's part of it, you know, it disclose everything. Make sure you have all the information ready to give to your buyer, because if you don't as a seller and they find something, I mean, it's it can be pretty bad for you. Uh, you won't be able to get that sell. I mean, sometimes it's illegal if it's too bad. So you definitely want to make sure you have that. And you can be sued later on even after the sell if um, if something is found that you forgot to disclose. That's like solar, for example. If you get solar panels and you've had them for 10 years and they don't work anymore. And you know they don't work anymore. And you're thinking about getting new solar panels. But now you're selling the house. And you don't tell the buyers that the solar panels don't work. And nothing's disclosed. Um, yeah, I mean, that could be an issue. Uh, recently, it's been mostly people just forgetting about, like, you know, they can't, they, uh, if they leased or own the solar panel, which is very common. I mean, if you own it, you would know that you own it. If you sold, if you leasing it, I think you would know that you're leasing because you're still paying on it, right? So it really depends on, on who you are as a person. But yeah, so that's with the HOA. HOA will find out if the solar panels are owned or sold or whatever. And they'll take care of everything for you. So you don't have to worry about that. That's a good thing about the HOA. They're very uh, in tune with what they need to know. Now, when buying a house in HOA area, uh, you're also going to be looking at a few other issues. Uh, the neighbors. What kind of neighbors are there? HOA neighbors are usually... They want to make sure everything's still going to remain the same. The quietness uh, after 10 and, you know, the rules are being abided by uh, the HOA and, and then the new neighbors moving in. So I always say, you know, get to know your neighbors first. See if you like them before, you know, you go any further. You walk around the neighborhood, take a few drives on weekends, weekdays in the, in the new area. If that's the area that you're thinking about buying, if you see a house in that area. Yeah, just get the family and then go for a drive. If there's a park, that's awesome. You can go to the park during the uh, during the weekend and kind of get a little bit of information uh, to see how the park is on the weekend. If it's really really packed, if it's uh, people are nice, you know. If there's uh, you know people have children, a lot of children, a little bit of children. If there's dogs, all this kind of stuff is is very relevant when buying a new house, especially in a new neighborhood. I know I've had some issues with that too. So um, I'm glad that uh, that most neighborhoods in Elk Grove have always been relatively nice. So I haven't had any trouble. Um, if you do 
find that you have trouble though, um, an HOA, then, I mean, you may not want to purchase in that area, but it's always good to, to check to see if there's another HOA that they own that may be nicer, something that you might, you might find, um, up to what, what you and your family are looking for. I've had plenty of few times I've had to go over and, um, you know, I went to Stone Stonebrook in Stockton. Stonebrook in Stockton is actually a very nice HOA. Uh, but they have three HOA fees. So they start off with the primary fee. And then they have a, um, their secondary fee is for the lake. So they have a, a giant lake. So basically the first fee is going to be for the roads. The second fee is going to be for the lake behind the houses. So even your house. So basically how it works is you have the front of the house is where you're looking at when you drive into the driveway and then we go to the back of the house you have like a dock so they call that an embankment so there's an embankment fee and then there's um there's an, a, a water access or lake access fee so those are the three fees uh the first one for the roads is cheap it's like 95 dollars a month the embankment fee is 275 and then they have another uh 300 for the uh water access fee so it gets a little bit expensive it's like 700 dollars um, a month, but I think they're raising it now. So there's a fourth one coming up now and it's, uh, it's for the lake bed. It's for, because it's all cement and it's a man-made lake. They want to make sure that everybody, you know, it's going to stay and everybody's going to be paying, but that's a lot of people. I mean, Stonebrook has over 240 houses on the lake and another, uh, 400 houses around that area. And then if you go to the other side, um, of Stonebrook, they have, they have two sections left and right. They built another lake, and that area only has two HOA fees. So they might be raising those, of course. But that's how it works in um, California. You know, usually you get an HOA. There's like one or two fees. So the HOA on the other side of Elk Grove, which we call Franklin area, um, called the waterfront. That area is uh, the waterfront area. I think it's four hundred and forty-four dollars a month for the their HOA, but they just raised it another 169 for security per person. I mean, that's a lot of money. I mean, you have police, which isn't too far away, but maybe they want their own security. And it's not gated at all. So anyone can just drive in and drive around the neighborhood. There's, there's no gate at all, which is kind of weird to be paying so much for a non-gated um, HOA community. But they have amazing parks. So the Franklin Park has um, has six of the tennis courts. It has four baseball fields, four or five soccer fields, a huge area, two dog parks, and I don't know. There's probably a lot more I don't know of. And there's a library near there too. Um, and then the... Waterfront's um, uh, event center, they have Taco Tuesday. So every Tuesday, they do tacos for everybody in the community. You get it for free. So they'll cook all day, and then you just go to the rec center, and boom, you get yourself free tacos. They have uh, they have two swimming pools, a uh, young kid one, um, younger children, you know. And then they have an older, like, you know, for anybody. And they also, you can rent those out. They have, uh, oh, they have four barbecue pits and they have those um 
really nice Traeger barbecues. And you can use those whenever you want. You just have to make sure you make a reservation for that weekend. So that's pretty cool. I mean, they have a lot of stuff for an HOA. And I believe they do have a library as well. They have an indoor uh, tennis court, um, a basketball indoor. And I remember there was something else over there. There was like a like an event room or something like that with like pool tables or something. So that's cool that they have all that. I mean, that, that's a lot to have for an HOA. And I've heard of HOAs not even having nearly as that much. So, I mean, it really depends on uh, the company that you're, the area that you're, you're you know, going to be moving to, the company uh, who built the houses, because most of these HOA areas, they're independent. So you can you can't find them all the time. You know what I mean? You have to like look in certain areas, and if they're not selling, then you're not going to get a house, right? So that's that's something that I hear a lot. That you know, oh, they're not selling that area. So definitely want to make sure that you're you're um, you're being uh, um, proactive and finding everything you can about HOA, whatever HOA you decide to go for. Me, I do not recommend an HOA. For a lot of reasons. Uh, one of the biggest reasons is if you don't like your neighbor, I mean, there's not much you can do about it. If you are not in an HOA, if you're just independent, you know, about your own house, you don't like your neighbor, you can go to court, take them to court or whatever have you. But with an HOA, you actually have to talk to the HOA first. And then if the HOA can't help you uh, negotiate, then, I mean, then they can offer additional services but it's very difficult you know to, to deal with everything so it's good to have an HOA um, I just don't want to live in an HOA myself as myself uh, I've heard a lot of bad stories about uh, this HOA waterfront they don't allow any vehicle in the driveway at all after uh, like 9 p.m. and usually during the day they don't like it either so security will roll around if he sees one in the parking uh, he'll say put it in your garage. So you can't use your garage as storage. Your garage is your, that's where your car goes. So that's one thing. Um, my house, I mean, I have a, I have three car garage and they're full of storage, you know. So that's something that I did and I, I couldn't do that if I was an HOA. That's another thing why I don't like an HOA. So definitely want to um, do your due diligence, find out if the HOA is really good for you or not. If it is, then, I mean, more power to you. They have a lot of security. You're going to be very secure. And you, if you find a gated community where you have to worry about it, that's awesome. And then you're um, you're really, uh, you know, safe. You're usually pretty safe. If there's a golf course involved, I mean, you're going to get hit a few times, your house and the windows. But it's all going to be covered under the, the HOA's um, insurance policy. And then you'll have the additional policy, of course, for homeowners. Um, let's go over some... Uh, regular houses. So when you're going over an HOA um, and then you go to, let's say you sell your HOA, you may have additional issues selling the HOA because what's going to happen is the HOA not only has confirmed the person that you're working with, but sometimes they have their own realtors. You have to use their realtors. Uh, so you definitely want to contact the HOA to see if they have their own realtors uh, before you buy. So if you ever decide to sell two or four, six, down, seven years down the road, you know, are you going to be able to? So definitely want to look into that. Okay, so now we go over uh, 
going down to commercial. So the difference between home in- inspections and commercial inspections. As a home inspector, I have done, I do over about 1,050, maybe 1,100 homes a year for the home inspection side. And then for the commercial, I do about 9%. So it's not that many inspections for the commercial throughout the year. Um, but it's completely different from home inspection. I mean, every way around. So you, so you look at the home inspection and it's basic. You know, you have the roof, you have the the eaves, the fascia area, the gutters, you know. And then you have the siding and the windows and the doors and the interior and everything like that. And we have to check the AC and the heating system. With the commercial inspection, the sales are a lot higher. The pricing is a lot higher. You know, one, two, four, six, ten, sixteen million dollars. So when it comes down to that, um, the owner really wants to know the the buyer wants to know the important things. What are the important things I'm buying here? I'm buying, let's say they're buying a factory. You know, what are the things that I'm gonna have to worry about if I buy this factory? Are the workers gonna be in danger? Are things gonna break really early? Is there gonna be electrical fires? Is there gonna be safety issues? So when it comes down to homes, regular houses, inspections are safety, integrity, and then issues with non um you know, compliance, things inside the home, like HVAC unit, hot water heater, that kind of thing, not being functional or functional. So appliance functionality. When it comes down to commercial inspections, is not, I mean, some appliances have to be efficient. For example, a restaurant, we do not test, you know, like fryers, stoves, flat tops, um, main kitchen things basically. But we do inspect safety features. Uh, oil, uh, there's oil pans, the oil filters, the um, backup oil uh, basket, the exterior interior baskets, uh, oil filters, uh, extended oil filters. So what those are is those are if the oil goes down the drain, it goes into a thing called an oil trap. And that oil trap holds the oil and you have to have it pumped usually once a year. There's a secondary that goes underground and it has, it's a, it's a bigger oil trap. And usually oil traps are from four gallons, two gallons, one gallon. Uh, but usually, they're, they're usually a lot. For restaurants, they're usually pretty proficient. So it has to be at least, you know, two gallons plus depending on where you're located and how big the restaurant is. Uh, 1,400, I know, um, was it 4,000, 4,000 square foot Restaurant usually has a five to six gallon trap for oil. So those are the oil filters, oil basket, and so forth. So inside, we know we check, of course, the bathrooms, the walls, the um, any dangers in the uh, main lobby area, windows. Um, and then the ceiling, of course, we'll lift that up and take a panel off. We'll look inside the attic area for air duct efficiency, if they're connected correctly, uh, you'll know if there's any leaks on the roof due to the fact that, you know, the batting insulation may be dropping or there may be issues where the there's wood deterioration. Uh, but normally you can't see the sheathing if it's a flat roof because they'll put the batting and they'll stick it right to the wood sheathing. And then that'll be your roof area. And then there's a space and then you have your air ducts and your um, your framing and so forth. Basically, commercial is just like a giant room 
and they make a a, a hang down roof, a hang down hang down ceiling. Sorry, hang down ceiling with a a flat roof. If it's not a flat roof and it's a gable roof, they will still find a way to do it. But there will usually be a ladder system that usually goes out to the roof, um, and that area will be flat because that's where the HVAC is. So the the commercial inspections are a lot different. If you're becoming a, a home inspector or you are a home inspector and you want to do commercial inspections, they're harder to get for jobs. That's why I only do 9% of the year. Um, the commercial inspections are not for everyone. The inspections themselves could take anywhere from 8 to 16 hours. I mean, I did a hotel one time. It took me three days. But it was I had to get another inspector to help me because it was uh, 360 rooms. So... You definitely want to make sure that you know what you're doing and your pricing. Let's say you get a restaurant, for example, and it's a 8,000 square foot restaurant. And you do the inspection and it takes you 16 hours. You do the report that takes you 16 hours. And um, well, how much do you charge for something like that? Well, that's the key. If you have never done commercial inspections, you could underbid. If you underbid, then the buyers definitely knows that you don't know what you're doing and they're not going to pick you. If you overbid, the buyers are going to be like, oh my gosh, that's way too much. I'm not going to pay that. And they're not going to pick you. There's usually a medium, a moderate amount that you can choose. You can bill. Uh, for example, if it's a 3,600 square foot restaurant, you could charge $2,000 to $2,400. If it is a 20,000 square foot warehouse, just a warehouse, and it's 20,000 square feet, you're probably charging about six to $8,000. Um, if it is a 40,000 square foot warehouse with an attached warehouse, now this gets a little bit trickier. So we have four grades of commercials. We have grade A, B, C, and D. Uh, D is anything that's 5,200 square feet and less. C is 5,200 square feet above, but no more than 12,400 square feet. And then you have B, which is a lot bigger, up to 20,000 square feet. And then you have A, 20,000 plus square feet. So this is how you find out... uh, how big is it? I always ask, you know, what grade is it? Is it grade A, B, C, or D? And then they'll tell me and then boom, I'll go ahead and um, get that inspection uh, priced out for them. Now, like I said, it's not easy to choose. If if you decide that you don't want to, to just choose a flat price, you could just say you charge $129 or $149 an hour. And then you can range it up that way. How many hours is it going to take for you to do the job? Um... If it's a hotel, for example, you know, 40 rooms, it's going to take you four days, eight hours a day, then you range up eight hours a day. Now, that price may be pretty high and it may not uh, be sufficient. It may be too high for your buyer. So you would take your full price from eight hours a day, four days, and whatever that price is, uh, you can minus or divide by a certain amount maybe three three thirds or uh, or three fourths and or um, a half 
and that would give you a good price and you can offer that because I mean either way you're going to be getting paid a good amount of money and even if it does take you four days I mean I would just charge per the day I would do the five to six hundred dollars a day so each day six hundred dollars and then I would add an additional um, twelve hundred maybe fourteen hundred sixteen hundred dollars depending for my report time so if it's um, six hundred dollars a day that's 2440 rooms and the rooms are probably pretty small like maybe 320 to 220 square feet so all you're doing is going inside looking at the walls checking the bathroom and next unit maybe if there's a heating system um, and then you just keep doing that I mean it should take you two days though 40 40 units should take you yeah about about two or three days shouldn't be too bad so it really depends uh, what kind of commercial you're doing um, if it's you or if you're going to be with someone else, sometimes you will hire, have to hire out if you're doing commercial. If you've never done commercial before, um, and it's your very first time, uh, commercial inspectors are not like home inspectors. They're not called home inspectors. Um, they're actually just called inspector. And another thing is, is they work for the buyer only, not for both parties. It is true. Uh, transparency but is not for the sellers is more for the buyers so safety features is number one smoke detectors fire alarms if it's a restaurant you're checking for uh, uh, oil sprinkler systems uh, for the stoves uh, flat top uh, under area uh, grease traps um, grease trays uh, and grease baskets and then if you're in, uh, in plumbing, of course, you'll be checking. You don't only really check the Acer heating system. Instead, you're going to be checking the electrical system. So you'll be checking all the, the breakers, the knockouts, uh, the wiring system. Um, checking all the walls, the ceilings, the bathrooms, the plumbing. The identif- uh, check if the toilets are loose or tightened. If there's tile missing. Um, you're also checking a bar if there's a bar. Let's see, you'll need to check uh, the air duct system, fans and insulation, making sure that the back kitchen area is not connected to the front ventilation is extremely important because they're using gas stoves in the back and that is seeping into the air system, to the vents, and the vents are going over to the lobby, then they're gassing their clientele and that's illegal. So definitely want to check that. Um, so usually I turn the fans on and, and just double check. Uh, you're also going to check the roof HVAC systems. This one had four that I just checked the other day. So check if you have four of them, check all of them. This also had two dead ones that are non-functional. If there's non-functional, you need to mark it down as non-functional and may need to be removed. Non-functional items on the roof should not be there. Uh, it not only adds to the weight, but... It disrupts anyone doing maintenance up there. They won't know which ones to check. And as soon as they charge by the hour, so, you know, the HVAC people or plumbers or so forth are are taking a lot longer than normal. And it's going to cost you more money. So you're trying to prevent that for your new buyers. Um, Checking the window system, doors, door locks, emergency exits. Make sure you have an emergency exit uh, layout in the front and back. Exit uh, doors have to have an exit sign above them. Um, you're also identifying 
any major trip hazards uh, in the kitchen to the back. You're checking the walk-in freezer, walk-in um, refrigerators. I didn't find fans. Uh, checking for, you're really checking for mold, but you are identifying if there has been a deep clean. If it's a restaurant, if it's a warehouse, you're identifying for debris. So one inspection I did last year for a warehouse, um, it was a paper shredding company. So they were like newspapers. They would shred the newspapers, put it, it goes to a new bin, and then that bin uh, recycles and then goes into a, uh, a, a like a system with water and then it, it recreates a new newspaper basically, a recycling in a way. So the problem with that was the air quality control. There was very bad um, air inside you know the warehouse and there wasn't enough circulation. And they didn't have any fans going out. So I had to wear a respirator while all the employees were working with just regular masks. I think they were N95s. But the problem with that was, is, you know, I actually now I do air quality control. I didn't before. But the problem with that is if the workers are in an unsafe environment, which they are, um, it has to be reported. So I did have to report that. But the buyer knew. Uh, the seller knew actually, and he told the buyer, and the buyer knew. Um, he never even went inside, but the buyer knew about it, and he wanted to know if uh, if it was safe or not. I I told him, well, I would just get an ear test because this doesn't look safe. It was extremely smoky, and the newspapers were everywhere. There's like little tiny particles in the air. It was not very good. So yeah, definitely want to check all those areas. And I went to one warehouse a couple years ago it was Siemens um, Siemens is a, is a company that builds trains all over the world there's one in Germany a couple in, uh, in America and they, they build trains for like uh, and trolleys uh, for different companies uh, big giant train cars and usually like some of them is for Greyhound uh, so they have a you know quarters where people actually sleep and so forth some have beds and so anyway uh, they have four different sections one is the lighting area, the the train mold, uh, which is uh, the metal uh, and the wheels. And then they have another area where they do just paint. Um, and then there's an area uh, where they do the the wiring for everything else and the, um, the connectors area. So I didn't check all of them. What happened was is my job was to check the paint area for... Um, just to identify if the area was completely clean, like if it was tight, airtight, uh, there was anything seeping out, chemicals and so forth, and identify if, if there was any type of erosion underneath um, the the metal area where they have the, the the whole train would go inside and they would paint it inside. And they did it by hand. They didn't even use machines or robots, which was weird. I thought they would. But so that was the whole thing. Um, and then this year I've done a couple of restaurants. My, my buddy inspector in the Bay area, he does, uh, he did a couple churches this year. So that's, that's something that you might hear about. If you're going to be becoming a, a commercial inspector, you might have to do a church. Churches are a bit different. Um, you're going to pretty much propose that into a warehouse. I mean, you have to think of it that way because that's what commercial is. Um, just one giant building, pretty much open, uh, you know, open room set and then you're checking the walls and foundation 
I didn't find any structural integrity issues. Usually churches have um, pillars that hold them hold the middle of the roof or the middle section up. So you're just checking the pillars, upper and lower. Uh, double story churches are more complicated because you have to worry about if it's uh, if there even is an attic space or a living space. Some churches do have a living area, so you have to check that as well. Um, but yeah, churches are a bit easier than. You know, warehouses are pretty easy, but they can be complicated. Uh, churches are a bit easier. Uh, restaurants are harder. Uh, your hardest one. Hmm. Hardest commercial inspection would probably be. Yeah, I've had to do one before. It was a couple years ago. Um, an office building was pretty hard. I I think it had twenty rooms. Yeah, so, yeah, the office building I did had, like, 20-something rooms. But, you know, they were, it was weird. It was like they built, it was like a big, giant room, completely open. And they just built half walls. Like, the walls went up, but not all the way to the ceiling. So there's, like, that little bit of space in between. Like, maybe two to three, so that four inches. Uh, except for the bathroom, of course. So the middle of the room is where the bathroom was, and a closet was on the right side of the bathroom, like a storage closet. And that was part of the building. But everything else was like added on. Like you can take it down and change it around or something. But it was like an office building. That's pretty difficult because you have to go to every single room. And they were using sheetrock too. So every room had sheetrock, cracks, deterioration. Every room had a desk. And it was crazy. I mean that's pretty darn difficult. You have to go through all that. So that that, that was issue. Uh, that was an issue for me because I was like, oh, well, this is a lot. <laughs> I know what to charge. I end up charging like I think thirty eight hundred or four grand, but I mean it's definitely a complicated issue. Uh, and of course, I checked the roof; they were missing tiles, and they were doing the the um, tile roof, cement tile. So definitely, you have to look around um, and market yourself as both commercial and home. And if you do, I mean, even if your name is home inspection. Like my company, the Home Inspection, um, Home, Home Inspection Services, uh, from the Home Inspection Network, I have to um, still market myself under commercial individually, separately, uh, and then of course we do pools and sewer lines and um, sewer laterals and all different types of stuff. But not everybody does. Not all home inspectors can do warehouses or commercial and home. They only stick with home. And, you know, I, I find that you're not be, being diverse enough to uh, get your company off the ground. You're going to stick with homes. You're only going to get homes. You're, and then what if you're a home inspector who's too old or too big, you know, uh, chubby-wise to go underneath the house? Then you're only going to request for slab foundations. It, well, that's going to be crazy because guess what? Most of the houses are being sold are lifted foundations. They're 1979, 1965. And if you're in Oakland, you're definitely not going to be a home inspector because all those houses are from 1885 to 1941. So then again, you're stuck, you know. Uh, San Francisco warehouses and factories are, are difficult to do inspections because they're too darn big and too darn old. I mean, if you're not familiar with a boiler, then you can't even do a commercial inspection for school. If you're not familiar, I mean, yeah, because they only use boilers. Uh, they're old school, very old. And if you're not familiar with like, um, 
old police stations and so forth, you know, you wouldn't be familiar with any of their old boilers or underground watering systems uh, that they use for heating and cool. So, I mean, it's, it's, and if you're in Texas, it's even crazier. Farms, farm inspection. So what they do in Texas is, and I think they started doing it in California too, but they build, um, is it a, a 20,000 square feet by a 10,000 square feet, uh, like 10 feet deep. And it's a big giant area in a field. And what they'll do is they'll dig all that up. And they'll take these lines, these um, polyethane kind of PEX plumbing lines, and they'll run it from the house or a barn, all that's next to the house, all the way underground, and they'll roll it around that whole square or the whole rectangle that they just dug. And it's underground, and then they'll they'll have it all set up a certain way in there, almost like coils, you know. And then they'll dig it back up, and they'll they'll put all that dirt back on top of it. And the reason they do that is because the water goes underneath the ground. The cold water will stay cold and the heat source will be that the both cold and hot will be underneath the ground. But like the coils, like they'll go through and then it comes back to the house and it's either cold or it's warm water. But that's how they do it. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. But in a lot of older farms, that's how they do the heating and cooling for the plumbing. It's not like underground water system. They're, they're way the heck out there. Sometimes they have wells, but when it comes down to farms, I mean, you can't just have one well. You have to have like four or five wells. So yeah, it's, it's, it gets very complicated when you're a home inspector. It's not an easy gig. You really have to learn, be productive, market, sell, determine your audience, who you're going to be selling to, you know, your inspections, who you're going to be doing your inspections for, commercial or home or both. If you've done farms, you can add farms in there. It's very, very complicated, very long for farms. I do not recommend anybody doing a farm inspection unless you have someone else there to teach you. It's just way too complicated. Uh, And then, of course, there's um, mansions. Now, being a home inspector, you can do a mansion and you can do it for a fair price. But I see a lot of home inspectors undercharging. Now, what do I call a mansion? Well, most mansions are um, 9,000 square feet plus. I mean, I've done 11,000. My, my biggest inspection was over 11,000. But the last one I did was 11,500 square feet. That was the mansion. And, of course, there was two swimming pools, um, a couple of basketball courts. Another house was on the property, which was a separate inspection which was a different additional prices, you know. So the mansion, the biggest one I ever did was like 22,000 square feet. It was a huge mansion. I, I never do that again, though, because it was just too complicated, too long of inspection. Um, but 11,000 square feet is doable for one day. Uh, it's not, it's about roughly nine to 10 hours for the inspection. And you can do the report the next day. The report's about roughly four to five hours. So it's not too bad. I've, I've, I think mine took about six hours because there was a little bit more stuff than I than needed to be. But because I did the basement area and I found other things. But most mansions um, are pretty accessible. Now, how do you start a mansion? Just like a commercial inspection uh, and just like a home inspection, everything starts on the outside. So, of course, you're going to do the roof. You're going to do... 
the exterior, you're going to do the windows and doors, you're going to check around the property, just like a mansion, you're going to do the same thing, the roof, the fascia, the gutters, the plumbing, uh, going down drain pipes, so forth. Uh, and then your siding, windows, doors, and so forth. And the plumbing will be usually in a basement area uh, on the outside of the home. You'll be able to access it. You can see all the plumbing. I do all that with the outside before I even go inside. Because once I go inside, I don't leave the inside. I go all the way, and I go all the way to the attic. So you start with the first floor, clear it just like you would, and then go to the second floor, clear it. And if there's a third floor, you clear it. If there's an elevator, you have to do the elevator and check the elevator. Uh, now, you don't have to check the elevator wiring system. You just have to check the breaker system, the, the breakers for that uh, elevator. You have to check the elevator by getting it, by uh, closing and opening the door, make sure it's functioning. Um, and then you can send it up without you being in it too. Uh, or you can be inside of it and send it up. Uh, and then, of course, there's got to be stairs for that. So you check the stair lines, too. Or a stairwell, if there is one. Uh, and that's part of the, the whole um, inspection for that section. And then you would, uh, if you were to take the elevator up or down, um, then you want to check, of course, the breaker box and make sure it's efficient. Elevators work on two breaker boxes. One will be your primary breaker inside the main breaker box on the outside or the main panel outside the house. Your secondary breaker will be an independent sub-panel inside the house somewhere, usually on the first or the last floor that the elevator goes to. Now, that breaker box should have five breakers in it. Sometimes they'll have four. That's okay. The most common breakers you're going to have is the primary run uh, you have the interior of the uh, elevator's control panel, which should be a 15 amp. And then you'll have a, your primary will be usually a, a 40 or 50 amp, depending on how big the elevator is. Usually elevators only carry one or two people if it's inside of a house. Um, and then your third breaker uh, will be your lighting system, the control lights. Your third will be, your fourth will be your brakes. And then if you have a fifth, most fifth is backup. The brakes usually are your backup if you only have four. And how that works is the brakes, if the um, elevator was to fail, then the brakes automatically lock wherever floor it's on. You can, of course, it's very hard to open the doors, but you are able to open the doors in emergency situations. You have to have the emergency button first. Once you the emergency button, the lights change to blue or red. And then the doors become lock release and you can open the doors. Now that's for the elevators. If you're an inspector and you've never inspected an elevator, now you have that info and now you're, you just have to look it up but and identify yourself with it just like I had to. And I had to take courses on it. But uh, the lock release system, uh, there's usually two for the doors. Uh, there's an upper and lower. So you have two right, two left. And the upper and lowers will click. Once you hit the emergency button, if you never hit the emergency button, the doors will not be accessible for you to open by hand. Otherwise, the elevator will not close and or open, and then you're stuck inside the elevator, whoever is in there. That's why everybody yells, hit the emergency button. I don't know why, if you have ever been stuck in an elevator, I did once, but that happened to me. Anyway, so I never happened to me during an inspection, thank God. <laughs> but, you know, you get the idea. 
So commercial inspections and um, mansion inspections are, are pretty close. For mansion inspections, I just have, they of course, the same thing as a home, you know, the bedrooms and so forth. So a bit more uh, uh, diverse of information, things around the house that you have to work on. Commercial inspections are a bit easier if you're doing warehouses, just straight warehouse. Um, car, if you do a car commercial, that one would be the best one. So car commercial is like either you're doing a repair shop or you're doing um, a sales floor for like a dealership. Those are like the easiest. I mean, there's usually more office buildings than dealership, but the if you're doing the uh, repair shop, it's just one big giant room. You don't need to check any of their um, like tire pressure gauges, tire pressure refills, uh, oil change information. What you do need to check if there's any leaks, seeps, or things that are on the floor that can cause any type of tripping hazard. So there should be, if there's a, um, if there's a oil hold or an oil, uh, uh, like bin, which is usually on the outside, not inside, but there is, if you see one on the inside next to it has to be two types of things. One's a chemical that they pour on it. And one's the cleanup. It has to be there, a safety feature. Two, Anytime there may be a grease fire, there has to be a fire extinguisher that's only for grease and then a regular fire extinguisher that's for uh, regular um, fires. They have to be refilled and in the green. Have to make sure that the date is the proper date. Has to be within this year. So if we're in 2023, it would be January, February that it was refilled. If it's 2023, but we're in November then you should see a refill or green and a clip from the fire department. They checked it probably um, April or you know, let's see maybe February to April, somewhere around there. Usually not that late. If it's near December, though, you're more likely going to see it in August or they'll be up in January. So either one um, has to be that year. We'll have a date clicked out and an actual day of that a month so month day year but it goes i think it's year day month something like that anyway uh so make sure those are adequate and then you're just checking uh that there if there is an undercarriage so you go underneath to change the oil there's a walk down you're making sure that um that they have the the two safety sets so one is going to be the lift, uh, there's a button, uh, usually inside. If you go down inside the little uh, tunnel, there's usually like a, uh, there's gonna be two buttons. There's one that's gonna be red, one's green. Uh, one's to lift the the lift up for the car, and the other one's to stop it, and it's an emergency stopper too. So make sure those are there. Um, if you're doing commercial, not for any of those, and you're doing it for like, let's say, hmm. It's hard for me to think of a bunch of them. <laughs> uh, say a grocery store, for example. Grocery stores are pretty easy. It's just a big, giant open room. The Really, the only thing you're checking is you're checking the back bathrooms, the offices. Um, you're checking the stores, the freezer, the walk-in uh, cooler. You're checking the, the soda area. And basically, you're just checking for temperature. 
safety and locking mechanisms or locking and opening from the inside and out. So don't lock yourself inside, open it up, check the lock on the other side. And if it's missing, don't go inside. Just write it down. I've seen people have to deal with that. And then, um, of course, you're checking to see what's a fire extinguisher, of course. You'll check the break room where the the employees hang out. Uh, You're checking the plumbing there. And you're checking for additional bathrooms if there is any. Uh, the main office, uh, you're just checking for wiring. And of course, the ceiling, you're checking for air duct system, ventilation system, um, HVAC, where it's located. I've seen HVACs inside the ceiling, just hanging. They make little platforms for them. So you can check that. Um, and then you'll be checking, um, you don't have to check any of the food. You have to check the tails at, at the front. Use it to make sure that they have an outlet. So every register has to have an outlet underneath and the outlet has to have a cover on it. So that's a safety feature. Um, and then the doors, to open if they're automatic doors, uh, you're checking to make sure that there is a um, auto-release button just in case they get stuck or the locked. Uh, usually they lock by key. They'll, they'll close them, they'll push a button to hold, and then they'll lock it. Let's see, exterior of that building, and you'll be checking the roof. Um, so that's usually the shopping center. Very easy. Uh, usually shopping centers are, you know, fifty six hundred to six grand. They're not that that much to do an inspection for. Um, if you're doing, let's see, a best of basic warehouse and an office building, I went over that. Yeah, so that that's pretty much good about the commercial. You pretty much got the idea. It's it's not complicated. It's just time consuming for the all warehouses, all commercial inspections are very time consuming, a lot more so than doing a home inspection. So home inspections take two, three hours for a basic home and all commercials are four hour plus. So, I mean, you're looking at, well, I've seen one for three hours. If it's a small building, you could probably do it for three hours. Just the reports are paying the butt. Uh, they can take a while. So you definitely wanna make sure that you're, you're if you're doing the commercial, you're double checking all your work before you leave. Make sure, oh yes, I forgot to go over that. Not only are you checking your work, but at the very end of your inspection for a commercial, any commercial inspection, you have to, if there's a parking lot, you have to take a picture of the parking lot and the building together from a sidewalk view. And you have to take a picture from the building from the front or side. That's whatever's feasible. And the reason you do this is because, because if it has a parking lot, um, on your report, you have to say how many parking spaces they have. Yeah, so if they only have 10 spaces, for example, for like a doctor's office, or if they have 40 for like a small business, um, you have to put it on there. If they have like, I know that the report won't usually go that high, you know, like four or 5,000, but basically, um, Small business inspections commercials, you will have to do that for two reasons. The owner, the buyer, the buyer for the new property wants to identify if it's road access, like main road, or not main road, like the freeway. And the reason that is because one sells better than the other. If I was to buy a property, a commercial property, um, 
on a main road, then I know it's it's going to be accessible more often. It could be seen all the time. If I'm off the side of a freeway on a back road, uh, I know that I'm going to get more business because I'm on the back road of a side where people from the freeway can see me. There's there's more traffic. Um, and then, of course, it depends what kind of business it is. I mean, if it's an auto shop or if it's just a warehouse that, that you know, holds things or fixes things, well, then you'll have to deal with that. And you still have to do the parking lot for employee base. And then you have to identify if it's... Um, on a main road or side road anyway. So all that's part of a, a commercial inspection. So we went over HOA, went over a commercial inspections, a variety of commercial inspections. Um, we went over a little bit of the Fed before that, but they changed the rates too. And in California, we originally had the um, money was set aside for new homeowners. I believe I went over that with my a couple of... Um, uh, podcast episodes prior i think it was number nine or ten we went over that um that money is no longer available right now it's under um i guess it ran out (laughs) it ran out of funding here in california for new homeowners um so the best thing to do if you're if you want to move to california or if you already moved in you're looking for a home in california um is there's two different spots you can If you're going to buy a home, buy an older home, it's cheaper. It may not even have a lot of issues either. I would buy somewhere from 1987, 1989, all the way up to probably a 2008, around there. The reason being is those houses tend to be cheaper by $100,000 to $200,000. If you buy a 2009 to 2013 it's going to be about $550,000 to $635,000. But if you buy anything below 2009, maybe 2008 or 2005, 2006, it's $560,000 and goes all the way down to about roughly $475,000, depending on the size. And then anything lower than that, older than that, I should say, uh, you could have, you know, difference. And of course, don't forget about your credit. Just don't buy an as-is. If you want to buy an as-is and you just want to, you know, if there is any issues, you want to fix it yourself, that's not a bad idea. I mean, it's a really good idea. And there's funding out there for even new home buyers. Let's say you're a new home buyer and you go out there and you want to buy a new home, but you can't find one, but you did find one that's older. Uh, You may want to check to see if there's any grants or additional funding that can help you for the repairs, like um, like the repair clause, or um, you know, repair financing, and so forth. All these things are available to new homeowners. And if you're doing a conventional loan, um, and you want to buy a home, I mean, it's not hard. I mean, you can get anything you want, really, with conventional. Um, it's just 20% down, of course, to, to beat those state taxes. So definitely want to do that 20% down or more. Some people are putting 22, 24% kind of getting that, uh, the house, even though it's in a competition, you know, six other people, six other buyers, but you're buying it because you put more money down. So there's things you just may want to look at. Well, that's pretty much all the time I have for today, but I'm going to get back into it again here, uh, next.
weekend. Yes, next weekend I'll be back. Um, and what we're doing next weekend is we're going to be going over next Saturday. We'll be going over some of the uh, new Fed stuff that's, that they have been implementing. And uh, I'll go over new funding that can help people. Well, thank you so much for joining the Home Inspection Network. Have a terrific Sunday. Enjoy your week. I know it's tomorrow's work week, but try to enjoy it. And I will see you here Saturday next week. Uh, have a terrific one. Thank you so much.